Well, last week we started a new sermon series on the kingdom of God, of God's great family that God is calling all of us into that, that knocks down the barriers, the borders, the walls that, that we often build up between ourselves. And I was thinking about some experiences that I'm grateful for in my past and moments that uh, helped me expand my horizons and my borders. And I was thinking about when I was in college, I went on a trip one winter break to Serbia. Now, you have to picture, I was living in Texas at the time. I had not yet lived in the Midwest. I had not yet lived in real winters. And so a winter break trip to Serbia uh, was a, a weather experience all by itself. Uh, but we were given one major rule on this trip that the missionaries gave ahead of time. They said, do not talk politics, no matter what. And so we, we fly to Serbia, and we land in, in Belgrade, and we got our luggage off the conveyor belts, and we got supplies that we'd brought for the missionaries, and we load them all up into this van. And, and um, the missionaries had a few of their kind of ministry uh, members there with them, and they were excited because one of the things we brought them were shoulder pads and helmets and all sorts of football equipment for their sports ministry to be able to transition uh, from flag football to tackle football. So they were excited to see the luggage and the supplies coming in. We get everything on this van, and it's nighttime, and we're driving, and within the first 15 to 30 minutes, suddenly you found yourself talking politics, and you're like, how on earth did this happen? Uh, but one of the first questions that as we get into the car is one of uh, the Serbs that were, were on our team started asking us questions, started asking us about our experience and about our policies and things like that, and you just start answering, and the next thing you realize, wait a minute, what's happening? And the driver, the lead missionary, was turned around and was like, stop talking politics. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, um, sorry. Um, but life in Serbia was different than life here, and um, they have their own history and their own experiences and their own uh, griefs and problems in the past and their own opportunities and things that they're excited about. Um, but I have to tell you that um, beyond all of that discussion, let me fast forward you to my next year's travel. We went to Israel as a kind of a lot of people in our religious studies program. We went and traveled to Israel, but we didn't fly into Israel. We flew into Jordan, into Amman. And let me tell you, if you fly consecutive years to Serbia and to Jordan, every single border crossing, every single airport security person suddenly starts wanting to stop you and just start asking you more questions and start looking through your stuff just because traveling in certain areas feels like you are now more of a threat, more of a danger, more of a uh, potential to be a traitor or whatever kind of connotation that we give just based on your passport's travel history. And so every stop, um, you know, I, you get called aside and you go through this kind of weird, fearful moment and so we were crossing into Israel, and they, they called aside me and one of my friends. His last name was Regoza. And they were, struggled with saying our last names, and then they just finally said, the Americans. And we went back into another room, and they start swabbing our stuff. And then they start competing, asking us who spoke better English and started talking about their own family lines and, and who had been in, the, in America. And so we are so used to our everyday experiences being in the bubbles that we live them in that we have suspicious eyes of anyone who has come out of different spaces, who have traversed through different spaces. 
And so we have a lot of suspicion uh, of people who are not like us or of people that look like us who have had different experiences. But what I want to talk about today is not the politics of any of these areas, but the kind of allegiance and the kind of identity that God calls us to in Christ that surpasses all of those boundaries and limits. And can we, can we take that leap with God? Uh, because I don't know about you, but I grew up with a lot of, there's a lot of pride you have in the places that you've come from, uh, whether that's being proud to be an American. I mentioned earlier I was from Texas. I think they might often be more proud of being Texan than being American. Uh, you might be more proud of your university or whatever kind of tribe that you identify with, uh, Marvel or DC, or we have IPs that we feel strongly about of who do I belong to. Uh, but how do we have our allegiance in God and not all of these other things that divide us? Because we are living in a season in which we are tempted to see our identity in things that are dividing. Uh, everyone in this season wants to see where you fall into a binary option in blue and red, right? Advertisers, people calling your phones, people texting your phones. This season is filled with people trying to say, what allegiance do you have? And in the midst of that, we start to forget our ultimate allegiance. And so I want to remind us today about where God and where Jesus calls us to have our allegiance. And so I want to start by talking about Jesus, because Jesus was revolutionary. You cannot say Jesus was status quo friendly, right? Like, is he going around saying, yep, this is awesome, this is the great way to do it? Uh, he's going around giving people a bigger and better picture for what the world can be everywhere that he goes. And we often don't notice how prominent it is that Jesus talks about God's kingdom in contrast to the kingdoms at work in the world. And some of us, we just, we just gloss over it. We just don't notice it. We, we don't want to maybe rest on it. But how much Jesus does critique the way that the world works and the way that our kingdoms work. So I want to just give us the context before we get to our scripture for today. In Matthew, the first two chapters are stories about Jesus' birth, and his infancy. And then you start in chapter 3 with the story of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's summary statement of who is John, what is his message? Here's what Matthew 3, 1 and 2 says. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. His message is, repent, because God's kingdom, which is different than our kingdom, is, is close. It is nearby. It is about to come. And so turn from your ways because God's kingdom is upon us. And so in Matthew 3, we get Jesus' baptism. And then we go into chapter 4, and Jesus goes out into the wilderness and gets tempted about how he might take control and power over the kingdoms of this world, and he rejects those. Then we get the note that John the Baptist has been arrested, and then we get from Jesus Word for word, the same proclamation message as John. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You know, we only have a certain amount of words and stories in the gospel. For them to duplicate the same language tells you how important it is. Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And they don't have any 
you know, ill-conceived notions. They don't have any sort of fluffy feelings about this proclamation. John's already been arrested in the story, and we'll later find out that he is going to be beheaded. Jesus is is saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. He is going to be arrested. He is going to be executed by the state. They meant what they said, that the way the world works is not the way that God sees the world. And what if we might repent and turn towards God's vision for the world instead of the competing messages of the world around us? And so Matthew 4 ends with this summary statement that leads us up to great, the great sermon that Jesus gives from the mountain. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people so that his fame spread through all of Syria. And they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. He's not just giving kind of like the tribal boundaries of like only Galilee likes Jesus in the story. Uh, The Decapolis, the Greek-flavored cities that had been constructed around the state of of Israel, Uh, people beyond Jordan, all of Syria, this territory of Jesus' influence is beyond the normal boundaries of these political lines. And it's in that context that Jesus sits the crowds down and speaks from a mountaintop and gives a vision of a kingdom that looks so very different from the ones that typically rule this earth. He proclaims who is blessed in God's kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do we actually think that the the poor in spirit are the blessed ones? Are the ones whose God's favor is on? We often watch debates and we watch discussions and arguments and we feel like the one most prideful, the one most arrogant, the loudest one is the one who is right. But the poor in spirit, that's who is blessed in God's kingdom? Or how about blessed are those who mourn? You mean the people mourning are the people that God gives blessing and favor to? Those who mourn will be comforted. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. God's vision of the kingdom and these beatitudes are so powerful because they are not the way that the world looks at people. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. What kind of weird world is it in which the persecuted are the blessed ones? And Jesus' values and God's values don't reflect the values of society at large. And so Jesus elevates people who society suppresses. And he also elevates the morality and the ethics of God's kingdom beyond what we typically call for. Jesus goes through all these statements saying, you know, you've heard it said don't kill. Well, that sounds easy enough, but don't be angry. Oh, hmm. Do I ever get angry? And in this season, pay attention to your anger levels. God says, you know, it's not just about killing. It's about the heart and the motivation underneath it. Don't be angry. And he goes on and says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I'm saying, don't even lust. God's kingdom is not enough just that you don't 
violate the rules in obvious ways, but that the innermost part of yourself is cleaned and transformed and models what God's whole intention is and what God's kingdom is about. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. I mean, I haven't seen a single kingdom in this world do that. Do you know any nations who truly, truly love their enemies? Because that is hard. People act like love is easy and soft, but that is hard to love your enemies. That doesn't necessarily mean condoning and, and uplifting practices that are harmful, but what is it to have a disposition towards loving everyone, even the enemy? And so Jesus calls this beautiful kingdom of people. You come from wherever you want and sit at the feet of Jesus and hear about a kingdom that is so close but is not quite yet here. But how do we get to that place? How do we get from the obvious divisions, the obvious fights, the obvious struggles, people wanting to only support those who support them, you know, and, and we're in this election season and people make promises about who I'm going to benefit if you vote for me and things like that. How do we get to a place in which everyone is loved regardless of if you voted against me or not? Regardless of if you're American or not, I'm going to love everybody. And, and that beautiful kingdom, how do we get there? How do we get to this place? Jesus, I think, gives us a beautiful entry point into that. Because he teaches us how to pray. Because how do I get at the inside of myself, not just the outside? Because we have plenty of outside work, but how do we get to the inside? And so Jesus tells them, prayer is not about making a public spectacle, making yourself look good. Prayer is about, and here's how he teaches them to pray. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's where we're going to linger here. First, we have to recognize that we are not God. We are not the great ones. We are not the best uh, at, at, at anything or everything. God is great. God is holy. God is set apart and worthy of praise. When we remind ourselves that it is God who is God and not us, we can get to a place where we are excited about God's kingdom instead of puffing up our own. And so, God, you're worthy of praise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. And then he says, your kingdom come. How often do we actually long and ask for God's kingdom and God's rule instead of our own? But there's the invitation, God, your kingdom come, not my kingdom, your kingdom come. And this is a way of, of praying for God's kingdom first, that no matter what competing alliances or allegiances or boxes that I would check about myself, God, I want your kingdom, not mine. And that's not easy to get to. A lot of us struggle with it. But we need God's kingdom and not ours. We have, to, we have to pray that God might seek blessing and might seek uplifting all people 
uh, in the world and this vision that Jesus gives. God, your kingdom means there's going to be an uplifting of people that I sometimes look down upon. And I've got to say, I want your kingdom lifted up. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This is also very hard. How often do we really want God's will and not our will? You know, we often go to prayer with our list of here's everything I want. How often are we listening to what does God want from me, for me, for my community, for my family, for this world? Uh, And think about just walking around saying, God, your will be done. Your will be done. Uh, Because if we all actually believe and live out and pray and that that's our heart's place, so much fighting and and struggles and frustration would would dissipate. You know, when you think about pick your worst case scenario of, of inner church fights and struggles and bad business meetings and all that kind of toxic stuff, when we have a heart and a longing for God's mission in the world, and who God is looking to uplift and who God is looking to bless, suddenly all of those my will be done things start to dissipate when our heart is for God's will and God's kingdom and not our own. And I don't think we should miss the end of that verse and the end of that phrase because we want God's kingdom to come, we want God's will to be done. But some of us stop there and we act like if I just pray only and never act never do anything in the world, if I don't make a contribution to the world. Like, everything about faith is just about the afterlife, right? But Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is it to pray that God might transform your heart, your will, to be about God's kingdom that on earth, right now, we might live out better God's kingdom? Because it's so easy to just say, well, I just want to feel a certain way. But God wants to change our hearts so we might actually go out and be a blessing to those who mourn. Be a blessing to those who are persecuted. Lift up the poor in spirit, those who hunger. And so on earth matters. And we should, we should know that. Like the incarnation, Jesus is there in the story talking to crowds because God cares about what happens on earth. Uh, The message was not, hey, just hold tight, everybody in the crowd, don't worry. In a few thousand years, things will be okay. Like, God cares about your crying, your pain, your hunger right now. And might you repent? Might you run towards God's kingdom instead of our own? And I think about both John the Baptist kind of out in the wilderness and these scenes in which Jesus is kind of in these wilderness scenes where feeding the crowds and uh, kind of this, this new Moses imagery. Of what is it that they choose to transform Jerusalem, they choose to transform Rome through a wilderness movement of people who are just willing to say yes to what God might do and transform within them. Uh, because we need both changes. We need individual change and we need societal change. And we can't get to those bigger picture changes unless we say yes and we submit to a better 
vision and a better world through Jesus and God's kingdom. I, I want to invite each of us to think about um, this invitation of the prayer is always an invitation of saying yes to God's will for your life. Now, some people have never said yes to that invitation. Like, that's why John the Baptist, that's why Jesus, Jesus is out there talking to people who aren't already believers in this perfect vision, and he's inviting them to say, you can say yes, you can surpass the divisions and the barriers that we make up in this world and be a part of God's family. Pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. But it is also a lasting message that even if you've started this journey and this path with God, you are invited each and every day to pray and to ask God to transform your heart on the inside, to make a difference on the outside. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I wonder in this season in which people are going to be competing with different messages about this world, are you willing to find your identity in Christ that calls you to care about everyone, not just your own inner party, not just your own nation, but to have a heart for the world like God has a heart for the world? And you don't have to just see in that big category term, but just looking at your neighbor and loving your neighbor, praying for your neighbor. Uh, and so I hope that you take part and society's ways of trying to bring about change for good and change for, for helping those in need. But don't do so out of allegiance to the institutions that bring those about in our particular situation. Do so out of a heart to follow God and where God is moving in the world that might be in the midst of this thing but always will surpass it. And it's never contained by our own institutions. And so I just want to invite you into this season of prayer. Uh, we are uh, leading a devotion series throughout this sermon series. And so each weekday, uh, we are posting videos you can find on our website, you can find on Facebook and YouTube, uh, where we are inviting you to pray through Luke chapter 6, which is Luke's version of this sermon where we invite ourselves in the midst of all the forces that want to convey messages to us to listen to what God's kingdom and God's will is for our lives so we can be a people that are peacemakers, that make uh, the blessing of those who are poor and those who are hungry uh, real in the world each week with, with pantries and uh, food pantries and blessing boxes. Let us be about God's kingdom and God's will. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, as easy it is to say each week, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, I ask that you would put our hearts in a place where we can say that with all authenticity, with all honesty. I know that it is true in my life and it must be true for all of us that there are moments in which we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, but we are holding back something. Lord, help us to have your vision for this world. Help us to have your heart for this world. Help us to celebrate the blessings that you bring about. Help us to mourn 
everywhere we fall short of your vision. And most importantly, help us to repent as you have called us to. Help us to live out your calling and your grace and goodness for our lives. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.